Alright everyone, it's your girl Ty here once again with another story on the same day. I am posting two different stories on two different episodes because of the fact that most stories can take a little longer than all the rest. So right now our second story for our first day of Christmas is A Christmas Carol. There's five chapters but these chapters are a little longer. I tried my best to find a shorter version of the chapters as I was looking for Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol is the most classic story you will ever tell uh, for this Christmas holiday season. Okay, so let's get into it. So, start one. Marley's Ghost, or in this case, chapter one, as we like to call it. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of the bureau was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change, and for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead as an, a doornail, mind. I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of iron mahogany in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the smile, and my unhallowed hands shall not be disturbed it, or the countries are done for it. You will therefore permit me to repeat empathetically, and Marley was dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead, of course, he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners, and for I don't know how many years, Scrooge was his sole executor. He, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuary, legee, his sole friend, and his sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully caught up by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man and business on the very day of the funeral, and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings back to the point I started from there is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distantly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story. I am going to relate if there were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began. There will be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts. Then there would be any other middle-aged gentleman rationally turning out after dark in a breezy spot. They say St. Paul's in a churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. The Scrooge never painted old Marley's name. There it stood years afterwards on above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people to the business called Scrooge, Scrooge, and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight fist hand, and the gritstone Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scrapping, clenching, covetous, old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out on generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster, the cold within him froze his own features, nipped his pointed nose, shivered his cheeks, dipped his gait, made his eyes a red, thin lip blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grainy voice, a frosty rhyme was on his head. 
eyebrows as his wearing chin and carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dark days and didn't thought one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm nor wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitter than he. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to entreaty in and foul weather didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain and snow and hail and sleet could boast of the advantage over him in the only one respect that he often came down handsomely and Scrooge never did. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say with glass of look, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him when it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. Even the blindsman dog appeared to know him, and when he saw him coming on, would tug on their owners in doorways and up courts, and then would wag their tails and thought they said, No eye at all is better than the evil eye, dark master. But what did Scrooge care? It was very thing he liked to edge in his way along the crowded path of life, warning all human sympathy and to keep its distance was what the knowing ones would call nuts to Scrooge. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, and foggy withdrawal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement stone to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three. But it was quite dark already. It had not been light all day, and candies were flaring in the windows of the neighboring office, like ruddy smears upon the palatable brown air. The fog came pouring in, and every chicken keyhole, and it was so dense without that all felt the court was on the narrow west. The houses opposite were mere phantoms to see in the dingy cloud come dropping down, obscuring everything, one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open, that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who is a dismount, dismount little cell beyond a sore of tank. Was copying letters, Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk on fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal but he couldn't repel it for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room, and so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. Wherefore the clerk put on his white comfort and tried to warm himself at the candle, in which effort not being a man of strong imagination he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you, cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him so quickly that this was the first imitation he had of his approach. Bah, said Scrooge. Humbug. He had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost. His nephew of Scrooge, that he was all in a glow. His face was rubbing and handsome. 
His eyes sparkled, and his breath smoked again. Christmas a humbug, Uncle? said Scrooge's nephew. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You are poor enough. Come then, returned the nephew gallantly. What right have you to be small? The what reason have you to be remorse? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said, Bah! again, and followed it up with humbug. Don't be cross, uncle, said the nephew. What else can I be? returned the uncle. When I live in such a world of fools as this, Merry Christmas, out upon Merry Christmas, what Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money, a time for finding yourself a year older, but not for an hour richer, a time for balancing your books and having every item through the round dozen of months and present idiot. Who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips? Shouldn't it be boiled with his own pudding and buried with steak of holy through his heart? He should. Uncle pleaded with the nephew. Nephew, returned the uncle sternly, keep Christmas in our own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? repeated Scrooge's nephew. But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone then, said Scrooge. Much good may it do you. Much good it has ever done you. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say. Return the nephew Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come around a partner from Venice due to its scared sacred name of origin. Anything belonging to it can be part from that. As good as time, a kind and forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem to be one constant to open their shut up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were my fellow passengers to grieve at not another race of creatures bound on other journeys and therefore uncle through though it has never put scrap or gold or silver in my pocket i believe that it has done me good and will do me good and i say god bless it the clerk in the tank involuntary applauded becoming immediately sensible of the improperty he poked in the fire and extinguished the last ray of spark forever. Let me hear another sound from you, said Scrooge, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir, he added, turning to his nephew. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come dine with us tomorrow, Scrooge said, that he would see him. Yes, indeed, he did. He went and said that he would see him in the extremely fist. But why, cried Scrooge's nephew, why did you get married, said Scrooge? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love, growled Scrooge, as if that were the only thing in the world more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Nay, uncle, but you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't not we be friends? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel, to which I have never been a party 
which I have a party, but I have made the trial in homage unto Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas in a humor to the last. So a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon, said Scrooge, and a Happy New Year. Good afternoon, said Scrooge. His nephew left him in the room with an anger word. Notwithstanding, he stopped at the outer door to bestow the greeting of the season of the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge. He returned them cordially. There were fellow muttered, and Scrooge, who overheard him, my clerk with fifteen shillings a week, and a wife and a family, talking about a Merry Christmas, I'll retire to a bedlam. The lunatic is laying in Scrooge and nephew out, and let two other people they were importantly gentlemen. Pleasant to behold that now Stu stood with her hats off at Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe, said one of the gentlemen referring to his list. I have a pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Marley. Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. Scrooge replied, he died seven years ago, a very night. We have no doubt this liberally is well represented by surviving partner and the gentleman representing his credentials. It certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits at the ominous word liberally. Scrooge frowned and shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge said the gentleman, taking up a pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffered greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of a common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons, asked Scrooge? Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge, are there still in operation? Constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. 
Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentleman withdrew Scrooge and resumed his labors and with improved opinion of himself and a more fatuous temper than was usual with him. Meanwhile, the fog of darkness thickened, so the people ran about with flaring links and proffering their services to go before horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. The ancient tower of a church, whose gruff old bell was always pending sailing down at Scrooge out of the Gothic window in the wall, became invisible and struck the hours a quarter in the clouds with tremendously vibrations afterwards as if its teeth were chattering in its frozen head up there. The cold became intense in the main street at the corner of the court. Some laborers were repairing the gas pipes and had lights of great fire and brazier, round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and wrinkled their eyes before the blaze and rapture. The water plug be being le left in solitude, its overflowing solemnly congealed and turned in micropathic ice. The brightness of the shops were hauling springs and berries crackle. In the lamp heat of the windows, made pale faces and ruddy as they passed. Polluters and grocers and trades, and because of a splendid joke, a glorious pageant with which it was next to impossible to believe that such dull principles as bargain and sale had anything to do. The Lord Mayor, in the stronghold of the mighty mansion, the house gave orders of fifty cooks and butlers to keep Christmas as a Lord Mayor's household should even little tailor who had fined five shillings on the previous Monday for being drunk and bloodthirsty in the streets, stirred up tomorrow's pudding in the garret, while his lean wife and the baby sailed out to buy the beef. Foggier yet, and colder piercing, searching bitter cold, up in the good St. Dustin had but nipped in the evil spirit's nose with a touch of such weather as that instead of using his familiar weapons that indeed he would have roared to lusty purpose the owner of one scat young nose gnawed and mumbled by the hunger cold as bones and gnawed by dogs stooped down as Scrooge's keyhole regained him with a Christmas carol but at the first sound of God bless you merry gentlemen may nothing you Scrooge and seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the key to the fog and even more hundred frost. At length, the hour of shuttering up the counting house arrived. With an alien will Scrooge dismount from his stool and tackle a minute in the fact that the ex-spectator in the tank, who instantly suffered, snuffed his candle out. And put on his hat. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose, said Scrooge. It's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, said Scrooge. And it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill used. I'll be bound. The clerk smiled faintly. And yet, said Scrooge, you don't think me ill used when I pay a day's wages for no work. The clerk observed that it was only once a year, a poor excuse of for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December, the Scrooge and abundant his great coat to the chin, but I suppose you must have a whole day. Be here all earlier next morning. 
clerk promised Homer that he would. The Scrooge went out with a growl. The office was closed and twinkling, and the clerk with the long ends of white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down the slide on Cornhill. At the end of the lane, the boys twenty times in honor of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to camp downtown as hard as he could pelt to play the blind man's bluff. Scrooge took his melancholy and went to dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers, he beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's books, went home to bed. He lived in the chambers on which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suit of rooms in the lowering pile of the building up yard, where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help facing it must have run there when it was a young house playing at hide and seek with other houses and had forgotten the way out again. It was old enough now and dreary enough for nobody lived in it but Scrooge. The other rooms being all let out of the offices, the yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was in a faint to grow with his hands. The fog and frost was so hung about the black old gateway of the house, and it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation on its own threshold. How, in fact, that there was nothing at all in particular about the knocker at the door. All right. Oh. I believe you know, we will stop there and then we will continue on in the next episode um, which I will do my best on. As you can tell, like I said, the first chapter is really long, but uh, I will continue on the first chapter in my next episode. In the meantime, this is Tarzan. Happy Holidays! Bye!